This is episode 325 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are, What Should You Prepare For? The Five Levels of Preparedness, and Upcycling for Preppers, Maintaining Organization. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. Hey guys, on yesterday's podcast, I did mention that I was going to increase the price of the ebook and access to the Prepper website forums after this weekend. I know many of you, you know, I was just kind of surprised at how many people are taking advantage of the, of the current price. So that's great. I mean, you're, you're being smart there. You're, you're jumping on it before the, the price increase. But I uh, just wanted to let you know uh, that is available and you can link, uh, catch the link in the show notes to uh, microbiz.biz or just come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and uh, you'll find multiple links on the front page to to get to that. Um, Just a couple of things. uh, If you are paying attention to the news today, one of the big things was Roseanne Barr. Roseanne's, uh, her show, which uh, everyone was blown away how good it did at the very beginning. I think maybe it's only been out for a month or two months maybe. Uh, it was canceled today because she uh, went on some kind of a like a racist uh, rant on Twitter, and um, so ABC canceled her show. And uh, I just think that it's very hypocritical of uh, of the media because the left goes crazy. The left will, and actually, I was on Twitter and I was like retweeting everybody who was saying all these other things that people were saying. You know, they were like reminding, hey, you remember when so-and-so said this? And you remember when so-and-so said this? And, and no one had a problem with that or no one, you know, caused, no one lost their job or no one, their show wasn't canceled or anything like that. But someone on the right does it and, you know, they automatically, their show is canceled. And uh, probably, you know, ABC is willing to eat the, you know, the cost of the productions and all that kind of stuff. Because, you know, she was so popular. I don't think they realized she was going to be so popular and she was going to be so outspoken. And, and I'm not condoning what she said at all. But, uh, you know, again, I think it's very hypocritical of uh, how Hollywood treats the right uh, versus the left. You know, it's just out there. Um, I really don't care. I don't watch TV. I didn't watch the, you know, the, the first episode of the of the new re-release of of Roseanne so I to be honest with you I don't really care but uh, you know it's just it just goes to show how hypocritical people are and so if you go follow Twitter uh, you know and follow me on Twitter people will you know you'll see all those tweets and then people are retweeting uh, stuff that I'm tweeting uh, because I just follow a lot of news um, places and or you know news organizations and things that people are out there putting uh, putting out there on Twitter uh, one other thing, uh, if you uh, maybe paid attention to it, Italy is not doing very good in the financial markets, and their economy isn't doing very good at all. And uh, so, you know, there's been some some news reports, you know, in the news that you'll catch. But one of the things that they say, you know, the Dow today dropped almost 400 points, which isn't really that big of a deal when you compare it to 
the big drops that we had been seeing, like 700 points and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, not too long ago. But I just wanted to point out how uh, closely tied everything is because they were saying that the reason it dropped was because of the uh, Italian markets, you know, the, the fears of that. On the Drudge Report, you know, just some of the, the headlines, you know, trade threats, Italy chaos, contagion fears. And it just goes to show how closely tied we all are uh, because the things that happen over there, in, in, it wasn't in the past, but now it is. Our economies are so tied into each other that what happens over there in Italy is going to affect, you know, us over here, or it's got, at least it's going to affect the markets, which eventually, you know, can affect us, you know, on Main Street. But I uh, just wanted to point that out to you if uh, if you're not actively, you know, watching the news. I know a lot of people don't. It's kind of like it's the same junk over and over and over again. But I just wanted to point that out to you because uh, it was something that I, I was, uh, I, you know, I was following today. All right, guys, let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from thepreppingguide.com. And the article is entitled, What Should You Prepare For? The Five Levels of Preparedness. I think it's a good article because it helps you to you know, look at different crises that you might go through and put them in proper perspective. And so let's go ahead and jump right into this one. When people ask, what do you prepare for? I really cannot provide any more of an answer than anything. This is the same for many preppers when they start out. As news, weather, and at-home events happen around us, we become constantly aware of new hazards, dangers, and circumstances that we could and should prepare for. While it is nice to delve into the mechanics of how to prepare for anything, whether it be a natural disaster, grid failure, wilderness survival situation, or a nuclear attack, sometimes we need to look at the basic blueprint of preparedness to remind ourselves what we need to prepare for. In this post, we take a look back at the basics of prepping to understand what should you prepare for so that as preppers, whether new or experienced, we can refocus our attention and efforts to the prepping that matters over the prepping that is less likely to happen. When I started prepping, there weren't as many resources out there to identify what prepping is or what specifically to prepare for. At the time, there was the TV show Doomsday Preppers, but were they really preparing for likely events? Some would think not, but as the saying goes, and it means a lot in the prepping world, you prepare for the worst and pray for the best. In that motto, if we're preparing for the end of the world, then we should be ready for anything, whether that be a natural disaster, severe storm, or job loss. Since becoming a little more experienced, either by prepping myself, my family, and some friends, of those that decided to join the good cause, and having spoken to a contrast of people interested and not interested in prepping, I can say that at some level everyone is a prepper. Then there are less people as we move down the scale of being really prepared. So the five levels of the preparedness pyramid. Taking a look at the preparedness pyramid is a good way for new preppers to work their way down the scale of what they should prepare for starting with the basic essentials of prepping and then looking at what can happen in life, in their local area, weather patterns, and other common occurrences before moving on to preparing for a collapse and SHTF scenarios. By no means am I suggesting to not prepare for a collapse environment. 
It is my belief that families should be ready for anything, whether it be a burst tire, an economic collapse, or a nuclear attack. However, if someone has not covered the basics of keeping a first aid kit in the car, or a flashlight and candles in the kitchen, or an emergency supply of water and food, then there's no real way you can start prepping for worst case scenarios. So let's take a look at the preparedness pyramid to see where you should be focusing your attention. So there's a graphic here. There's also links throughout this article, but there's a graphic here of an inverted pyramid uh, that, you know, on the, at the very top, you know, of course, there's five layers. At the very top, it's basic pre prepping, then temporary setbacks, weather, recession, and injuries, disaster collapse, and then SHTF. So level one is basic prepping. The biggest category, and rightly so, is basic prepping. Most people, you know, if they have any type of common sense, will fall within this category. Even those people that know very little or nothing at all about prepping might fall into this category. Why? Because at a base level, everyone prepares for the future in some manner or another, whether it be having money in a savings account, doing the food shopping for the week rather than day by day, and having insurance on the home in contents. Sure, none of this is real prepping, but it is the most common level of prepping done by people for that just-in-case circumstance. In fact, you will find many of these non-preppers will have a first aid kit in the car or in the home and hopefully flashlights and candles for when the power goes out. Unfortunately, there's no stockpile of food or when supplies are shut off and no means of generating power. But for most, this level of preparedness is enough to go about their daily life. In this level of everyday preparedness, we can also look at the specific area we live and cater this method of preparedness to the person. For instance, most people that live in cold, snow-prone areas will have some way of dealing with the snow and some method of getting the front and backyard ready for winter. In hot climates, these preppers may have a sunshade for the car and will most likely carry a sunscreen in the car as a reminder to use it on a sunny day to protect themselves from the sun. For this category, I would put basic prepping down to just basic everyday common sense. Level two is temporary setbacks. For me, when things go wrong in daily life, they always seem to happen in sets of three. This is when the car breaks down and the repairs are expensive, or you break your leg while playing sports, so you've got to take some time off of work. These are temporary setbacks that are unplanned in life and set you back in time, money, and health. Preparing for these types of events at least once each year can mean the difference between having a health insurance that doesn't pay out for your sport or failing to get the right service to ensure your car does not overheat and destroy the engine. In civil law, there is a clause that happens when many employees get a payout from their employment called basically the poop happens clause. This clause includes those things in life that seems to happen every now and then that sets us back financially. It might be that you have dropped your phone in water and have no replacement insurance on it, so you have to buy another one. When it comes to temporary setbacks, most of the time the best method to prepare for them is simply to have an emergency fund. This allows you to have the sick time off work if your employer doesn't have sick leave or to use it to fix the urgent problem that stops your car from working. These temporary setbacks do happen, and for most people, they can come on an annual basis. So having that extra little bit of help when you need it, 
the most is also common sense. You know, the only thing, the problem here, um, and it's not with the article, is just people don't have emergency funds. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the actual st- statistics, but it's it's a very small amount of people can weather like a $500 bill, um, whether that's uh, like a, an issue with your car. And, and I don't know about you, but when my cars break down, I mean, minimum, it's like $400, right? Uh, unless it's re- something really, really small, but usually it's not that small. If it's something small, I can usually fix it myself. But if I have to take it to a mechanic, I mean, it's like minimum $400. I mean, that's just, that's the smallest bill ever. Uh, and so, you know, people are uh, really suffering when it comes to, to things like that because people are living. And you know, what's funny is I was having this conversation with, uh, you know, somebody at work. We actually had a luncheon off off site and uh, we were, you know, riding together and we were talking about this very uh, situation here where people don't have um, you know, we were passing by some really nice houses and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was talking about how I know people that live in really nice houses. But if for whatever reason someone got sick or there was a bump in the road, I mean, financially, they would be ruined uh, because they're just living paycheck to paycheck, although they're living in this nice, this big, nice house. And they should instead, you know, downsize, kind of like what we were talking about last week, if you have, or la- yesterday's podcast, if you haven't, if you haven't listened to that one. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that and the, how that just makes so much, so much more sense. And it really takes the stress off because if you're, you know, if you're living in a situation where there's no breathing room financially, man, that's stressful. I've been there before when we were younger and first married and I didn't like it at all. And so that's one reason why, um, you know, I, I was always trying to make sure I had a little money put back so I wouldn't stress so much about that. So um, definitely, um, you know, that's most people there. Hopefully they have a little bit of money to get them through a little bump. So level three is weather, recession, and injuries. Almost all of us have experienced at least one of these. And while they are wide in their effect, only time heals the wounds that they leave behind. In level two, we saw the temporary setbacks that we might suffer each year, such as a car breakdown or a broken leg. Sure, these things can be quite serious, but their financial impact is low, and for most families, it is pretty easy to bounce back from a loss like this. In the third level of the Prepper Pyramid, we have more widespread impacts, which include severe weather, such as tornadoes, thunderstorms, where homes may suffer lightning damage or damage from strong winds, Families may also feel the impact of a slight downturn or recession, not yet an economic collapse. This could also involve job loss or industry-specific downturns, such as the construction industry decreasing over the next five years or automation of industries. I have also mentioned injury in this one, as that would include serious injuries, such as a serious sickness or disability that requires family care or care for more than six months. While there are methods to prepare for each one of these circumstances, similar to the second level's preparation of financial safety nets, these types of events also require a greater deal of funds to help families pull themselves out of. However, in the circumstances we have mentioned, you will find that specific insurance levels would help greatly here, such as home and content insurance, employment insurance or dividends, and specific health plans that don't just cover you for the basics, but actually go greater in depth in case you needed to be off work for more than a few months due to severe sickness or disability. 
As you can see on the Prepper Pyramid, this level is still quite wide as these are things that all of us experience in life. However, you will find that many people do not have comprehensive and complete insurance plans for health or if a storm happens. To be more prepared for this, it is good, a good idea to take a look at things that can happen in your geographical area, in your workplace industry, in your health to make sure that if there are any slightly remote chances of that happening, that you are insured for it. You know, that's another great, uh, I know I'm plugging my, my own ebook here, but another reason to have multiple streams of income. That actually came up in our conversation as well uh, with my friend when we were going to going to eat and coming back when we were talking about you know having multiple streams of income to be able to weather storms financial storms so uh, man I, I should have just recorded that conversation I could have used that as, a, as part of the podcast um, all right so level four is disaster and collapse in this category we start to look at survival and the necessities we might need to survive a 72 hour or even a week after effect of a natural disaster like a flood or a disastrous storm or an earthquake or how we can live and remain healthy during a global financial crisis these things are much more widespread than any of the others and i mentioned that survival is an important element in these because in these scenarios which for many are worst case scenarios supply routes stop and basic provisions we need in life such as food water power and first aid will cease either temporarily or for long periods the importance in natural disaster is to either ensure you are able to survive in a different area where you might bug out and evacuate to or whether you would be able to survive at home with your own means of food clean drinking water and power when many people talk about preppers, they often think we are planning for a doomsday, more likely the fifth level of preparedness. However, most preppers would say that they are practically preparing for levels 1, 2, 3, and this level as they seem the most practical, with the worst case scenario being a flood or huge natural disaster. Over the past few years, we have really seen bad weather systems pick up, causing more natural disasters, especially flooding and destructive hurricanes. Man, I can... Uh, I can attest to that, right? And have experienced them either ourselves indirectly through friends or indirectly through price of certain goods such as food and fuel. I believe prepping has seen an increase in interest by many non-preppers since the end of 2017 because of these reasons alone. And I expect when more natural disasters occur, we will see more innovative ways for communities, families, and individuals to ready themselves for unpredictable catastrophic weather events. To prepare for this level of event takes a lot more work than just buying a medical kit and some flashlights and disaster and economic collapse environments need to be treated very differently. To prepare for a disaster, I have written a basic five-step entry into the prepping world, which will have you ready to survive for at least one week without having to rely on any systems for food or water. Most basic preppers have at least a three-day or one-week supply of food, water, and daily essentials to use should they have to. All right, guys, right there, I'm just going to stop. Um, as someone who prepares, that's a very you know, it's a good starting point, having a week, but you really should you know increase from there. You really should move from there and go to you know a month worth of, of food and then build from there. Um, I'm actually getting ready to release an article. I mean, by the time you um, 
By the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be out on Prepper website. But uh, I am releasing an article kind of touching on that uh, one year of preparedness. And so, uh, you know, be, be on the lookout for that. And then, of course, uh, I'll read it here uh, pretty soon. But, you know, you don't want to stick one week's worth of preparedness. Even when you think about like what happened with Katrina, one week, one week worth of food and water still wouldn't have, have, have helped you. I mean, it would have helped you, but it still wouldn't have been enough. You need to be able to have more than that. And uh, not be so dependent on, you know, the government's going to come and save me. Definitely. And those of you who have been long-term listeners know that. And I'm saying that for the benefit of new, uh, new people listening and new preppers. Um, you need to go beyond definitely just 72 hours, one week. Um, you need to go you know, beyond, you know, minimum one to three months worth of food, you know, minimum there. Food and water and, and, and those types of things. But uh, always increasing that. All right, so let me go ahead and continue. Uh, Of course, there are other things that you might want to include to increase your comfort, whether they be a power generation method, cooking method, and other things. Another important thing, especially for natural disasters, is to have an evacuation plan. Pre-packed supplies in a bug-out bag, predestined places you can bug out to, and procedures in place with your family and friends should you not be able to contact them or should anything happen along the way. Preparing for an economic collapse is different, as it is not preparing for an event, but more so preparing to live a specific lifestyle with less outgoings, stronger budgeting and frugal practices, and a more self-sufficient lifestyle. I personally think that while each has their own nuances and difficulties, it is hard or harder to prepare for an economic collapse than it is a natural disaster. To prepare for an economic collapse, you need to be rigorous with your finances, which ensures having easy-to-liquidate assets, be debt-free, and have a good emergency fund. But it goes further than that, as you may also experience less food on the shelves, less reliable power, and less reliable clean drinking water. Each one of those has various methods of how to prepare for them. However, as a very basic to prepare for an economic collapse, you should have your own food supply, which not only includes emergency food, but a way to replenish that with growing your own food, either by a garden or a greenhouse, for colder climate areas. For some of the real things you may encounter during an economic collapse, you might enjoy these entries from a prepper in Venezuela. So I'm going to come back up here to to the very top here when we talked about level four. And I don't want uh, someone who is new maybe to say, okay, it just is going to incorporate these things here. We're talking about some serious disasters here. We're talking about uh, things that can cause disruption. And, and it's, not just very, it's not just localized. Um, you know, I would say like Hurricane Harvey uh, was one of those things. I mean, it shut down uh, 3 million plus city uh, for, you know, for you know, almost two weeks. Uh, if not longer, and then it ju- that just wasn't Houston. It was the Gulf Coast, and so there was a you know some serious disasters there. Um, luckily, it, it was it was isolated in the fact that it was the Gulf Coast, and so there was help that came from other areas, Louisiana and other places from up north. And there's still people coming. Like I you know I've shared with you, I have a friend, a pastor friend who who uh, he pastors down close to to Galveston. And uh, he has teams still coming in, and they're helping those communities down there. And so people are still coming in. But I mean, we're talking about you know some some events that are going to have some far-reaching consequences here when we're talking about level four. So I just don't want it to seem like 
um, you know, it's 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 a storm or just you know basic little storm or whatever. I mean, we're talking about you know some some serious disruption here and some things that can cause some real discomfort to you and your family uh, as far as uh, you know, your preparedness goes. And so you want to be prepared for, for that level. And so when we get to the level five, it's uh, that's you know the SHTF. That's the big poop hit the fan one, right? The one that. Uh, you know, everyone when they think about dystopian, you know, novels, and they think about prepper fiction, and they think about you know movies and stuff, you know, where you know it's the the end of the world type stuff. That's when, uh, you know, that's what we're talking about here with level five. So let's read this one. Some might call it doomsday prepping. I call it being ready for anything. The fifth level of the prepper pyramid involves being ready for the worst case poop hit the fan scenario. This could be anything from war, a nuclear attack, a chemical weapon, widespread disease, or an economic collapse that has resulted in a societal collapse, and that's just to name a few. In SHTF situations, not only do we need to know how to survive in the urban environment, but there are a lot of safety issues as SHTF events are often associated with. Possible roving gangs that evolve in a world without rule of law, using primitive survival methods in the end of the world as we know it, rebuilding society from the ground up in a post-collapse environment, high security issues for preppers or anyone with a stockpile of food and water, to bunker down from possible hazards from a nuclear fallout, chemical weapons, or disease, having to find alternative methods to find food, water, fuel due to contamination or underground life. It sounds like a movie or apocalyptic nightmare, but for quite a lot of preppers, this is the reality and it is something we need to prepare for. If you don't believe this is a necessity, check out my article on Underground Bunkers for Sale and you will see that there is no shortage of people expecting a real SHTF situation. So how do you prepare for when the SHTF to survive the end of the world? Easy. You do everything in the prepper pyramid. Why? First, because in this scenario, myself and a lot of others have no prior experience. Sure, I have been through floods, lived in disastrous tropical cyclone areas, and have been in the military. But I have not lived in a world without order or law, and not many have. But in saying that, the reason why I advise to prepare for everything in the prepper pyramid is that you really don't know what is going to happen. If you are in a bunker, you need a food supply, water supply, daily goods, and a first aid kit. But you also need a sustainable food source because your neighborhood grocery store or corner store is not going to open anytime soon and most likely the farms would have stopped producing food. So you need a sustainable supply of all those essentials. You need a car that's easy to fix. You need a currency in post-collapse trade items and a lot of ingenuity and innovation to make ends meet. That and you need to think about security, medical risks such as dealing with nuclear fallout, Remnants of a chemical attack. What happens when gangs attack? If you are in an SHTF situation, you need to be prepared for everyday life as well as the uncertainties that come with being alive in a world where things operate differently and everything you need to survive is provided by yourself and no one else. There's a lot to think about, which is why I recommend taking up every level of the prepper pyramid. It's not a quick backpack and 72-hour kit that will keep you safe when the SHTF. It's knowing the right skills, survival methods, self-reliance, and an entire lifestyle change that will be the primary factor in yours and your family's survival. 
All right. So I think one of the things, and he kind of got to it here at the very, very end, but I think he was trying to get to the point where you want to work down the pyramid because those are the more, uh, you know, they encompass, they're the bigger levels. They incorporate more people into those. Uh, They're more possible, you know, they're they're probable uh, to happen. You know, it's more probable for you to, uh, you know, lose your job than have a big, you know, nuclear war happen. You know, it's more probable for you to, you know, break a leg like he was talking about than to you know, be in an economic collapse. Uh, you know, it's more probable for you to need a Band-Aid out of your first aid kit uh, that's in your vehicle than, you know, be in, you know, an EMP, those types of things. So that's why you start you think about it that way where it just goes from the bigger the more probable things to the to the smaller point in the pyramid where those things you you might want to prepare for you might want to look you know you look into the future and especially as you start looking at how crazy our world is you start saying like you know what uh, we probably wouldn't have really thought about nuclear war maybe 10 years ago but now I'm like oh my gosh things are so crazy the nuclear war uh, I mean I'm sorry the Middle East is uh, heating up. I mean, Israel and Iran, and that's one thing that I didn't talk about at the very beginning of the podcast, but I mean, they're shooting missiles and stuff, you know, at, at each other, you know, coming from, from, you know, Gaza and is, is shooting mortars today over, you know, to Israel and some landed, you know, in a kindergarten, uh, you know, the playground of a kin- kindergarten or the property of a kindergarten. Um, you know, you have those types of things and the things are just heating up over there. And so, um, you know, so those types of things are probable, but the other things are more probable to happen in your life. And so that's why you want to work down those, uh, you know, that, that prepper pyramid there. So that's a good visual for you just to kind of, you know, get an idea of, of where you should be going with your preparedness. All right, guys, that's over at thepreppingguide.com. Like always, I want to link to it in the show notes and uh, go check that one out. Our next article comes to us from thepreppersjournal.com. All right, you might actually want to go visit this article because there are some really great pictures here as far as organizing goes and some uh, ideas. And and this really kind of hit home for me because I mentioned that my son got married and so there's going to be uh, an an empty room for me to be able to go and set up an office uh, I've mentioned it before that I, I pretty much work off of my my kitchen table right now. I mean, the podcast and when I record my videos and stuff, I mean, I'm in my kitchen. Uh, and so uh, I'm looking forward to having an office again and being able to set up over there. And uh, some of these things, just like wanting to be organized, I'll be able to, to do some things that I haven't been able to do in a long time. And so I'm looking forward to that. And so when I'm I'm seeing these pictures, it's giving me some ideas. I mean, of course, I'm not going to do all of these. Some of these are like really frilly, you know, girl stuff. But uh, some of them just are giving me ideas where I can bounce off of. And I'm like, you know what? I can do that. I can do that. And uh, so anyway, you might want to go check out these pictures. Um, this article is entitled Upcycling for Preppers, Maintaining Organization. So let's go ahead and read this one. One of the challenges when we get into preparing for disasters is keeping everything neat and organized. In some cases, we're trying to maintain our own or our spouse's sanity and keep some of our preparations neat, tidy, and organized without being in plain sight while short on space, either square footage or because we rarely allow something to leave our grass. 
beyond the ease and counts and condition checks and avoiding a hoarder's larder, organization can help us with both rotating supplies and in some cases even rationing our supplies should we fall on hard times. Happily, there's a lot of stuff out there that can help us. Repurposing some items that are inexpensive, commonly found curbside and at flea markets or yard sales, or that we might already have laying around can help us maintain that organization without breaking the bank. So maps and rolls. Keeping our wrapping paper neat and tidy might not appeal to preppers, but we can steal some of the ideas out there for keeping our maps, charts, and our property plats accessible and tidy. There's one where you take an old wire shelf and affix it vertically to a wall or door instead of horizontally. The 250 milliliter wine boxes are ideal for keeping both maps and wrapping paper contained and neat, and most alcohol retailers are simply delighted to let you have boxes. Cutting the bottoms out of hanging shoe organizers let us customize height. That one has added benefit because you can leave pouches intact to keep maps, pens, sprays, and dry erase markers and erasers right there with them. It also allows some mobility so they can be rehung by a work board in a radio or control room or at the desk and table where you do your planning. Hanging shoe organizers. You have to watch the weight in these guys, but otherwise the sky is the limit. They can hook us up in pretty much all wedges of our preparedness health wheels. I've got some in use for daily life too. One's in the kitchen keeping small packets of instant cereal and snack foods in the last bar of one kind or another from either getting lost in the abyss or from having the boxes continue to eat up space. One's for winter and keeps hats, scarves, and gloves neat and organized. The bottom row holds some quick slip-on slippers for household members and the dog's various booties. There's another setup with each person's preferred garden and yard work sets of gloves and pocket detritus. For preppers, the value goes up further. With stick-on labels or clothespins, we can use them to track dates for at-a-glance organization. We can also take a space where we would be limited to boxes or shelves and turn it into basically a rack for them. A couple of freebie curbside pickup filing cabinets a bar or two to go across the top, and we can string our organizers on dowels or sturdy branch sapling trimmings. The filing cabinets here are actually reading nooks, but it gives you an idea of how the addition of a plank, a freebie pickup shipping pallets or walls and shelves from curbside bookshelves, and a curtain surviving sheet from a wrecked bedding set can keep it from being ugly even if it's out in a home where somebody cares. If appearance is less of a concern, some suit hangers and an old pole can be hung in sheds, basements, or storage rooms to accomplish the same, a flip or slide-through storage area for small items. Those items can be anything. It can be a great way to keep veggie seeds separated by planting or growing seasons and years. We can use them for sewing supplies or art supplies, instant drink packets, seasoning packets, and shakers, granola bars, little packets of vitamin-rich gummy treats, boxes and packets of pudding or gelatin mixes, and other kitchen items fit easily. We can arrange them to be a general category like snacks or spices, or we can set up each by expiration or best by date. 
educational goodies, supplies for the radio room or office, entertainment items, hygiene items, and especially first aid and medical items that do start separating or losing efficiency are all other options for storing someplace we can find and see them easily and check those dates without pawing through boxes. We can use hanging closet organizers much the same way to buy some extra space, although they're not as handy for the tiny little items and still have the weight restrictions. We can also use them to help us ration, just like we can with canning jars. We can pack each with a week, a month, or a quarter's goodies. That can be seasonings or instant helpers like gravy or dressing mix. It can also be things like chocolate chips, tea bags, or a brick of coffee, smaller packets of cookie or edible cake decorations, or Slim Jims. Some of the shoe organizers are big enough we could even seed them with fresh games like Quicks or Dog Bites Man, new decks of cards, some specialty feel-good lotion or chapstick, or something seasonal to brighten the mood. Another option is to use a shoe organizer as a pre-staging area. Rather than those things that jump in buggies getting tossed in a box or drawer for a while, they can get slotted by category. It can also help with those items that seem like a great idea, but then hide when we want them. That can be everything from eyeglass repair kits and those mini sewing kits to things like outlet and light switch wall plates, overhead pull cords, and those plastic twisty cap wire connectors that like to multiply in drawers and tool rooms. Curtain rods. While we're hanging things to improve our organization, we can keep an eye out for curtain rods. With some rings and or big S-hooks, they can help us in all kinds of spaces. We can mount them in our bathrooms and our outdoor camping solar showers to drape bathroom organizers and avoid having stuff sit on ledges and floors. With hooks affixed to light baskets and tubs, what we can hang for easy access increases even further. Those baskets can easily be the bathroom organizers or oddball dishwasher or silverware baskets that show up here and there or wire or plastic bins from the dollar store and get used for school and office supplies, kitchen spices, each individual's hankies and bandanas or anything else we like. We can arrange them under cabinets or against walls to keep items like spools of thread, bungee cords and weed eater wire accessible. With hooks or loops, we can add our extension cords, gloves, and tools by our doors that are another easy way to keep hats and gloves organized and the airflow they'll get will let them dry faster. While I specified curtain rods, be flexible while we're upcycling and repurposing. I see swing sets and bed frames on freebie listings and by the curb on a regular basis. Tree trimmings can yield nice straight pieces. The scrap guys in town will let us have pretty much whatever we want at about a halfway between their cost and sell price. So be flexible. Garage and shed storage. We can use all kinds of oddball, wrecked, found, used, or inexpensive items for storage. Although the garage and shed where we don't have to hear anything from family members really shines. We can use coat hangers and hooks with a piece of looped rope, chain, or bungee cords to keep heavy extension cords, hoses, and heavy rope neatly coiled and off the flat surfaces. A wrecked binder offers three rings that can hold anything from our bungee cords to clean cans with a hole punch that can then hold our paintbrushes, garden pruners, gloves, or safety glasses. 
You have to pretty much murder somebody to find them now, but a plastic 2-liter soda bottle is awesome for allowing us to stack and move bottles and for keeping stuff in a pickup or van right where you want it. They can also be screwed flat to a wall to use the holes as shallow storage nodes, but they're too shallow to have much value for me there. Instead, see if a plumbing outfitter or a company has a PVC scrap. It usually is deeper and can cobble that into a honeycomb with some screws and get a lot more use out of it. Throwaways. All kinds of things that hit our recycling and trash have other uses, particularly in keeping our storage neat and tidy. The cardboard boxes that soda comes in get a lot of play for upcycling into soup and veggie can organizers, but we can also just slit the top of entirely. Swiffer pad tubs are awesome for stacking and labeling the sides, but really only for lightweight stuff. Old school laundry detergent boxes with the flip up lid and the little plastic handles are sturdy, stackable, and you can hook that handle around a screwdriver on your belt or a carabiner for hands-free carrying. Plastic coffee cans, jugs, powdered parmesan shakers, and creamer tubs are hugely versatile. Indoor or out, they can help us organize absolutely anything. Arrange packets of Lipton and North Sides, Seeds, HeartGuard, and Frontline or Spice Blends. Keep extension cords, tow cables, tie-down straps, or Christmas lights neat and tidy and ready to deploy again, which buys time and space for other stuff. They can also help us keep kits of commonly replaced items together. The plastic option can help us keep pests out of dry pantry, goods, and little packets of drinks or boxes of pudding. These plastic bottles are also handy for rationing out things like brown and white sugar that last forever in storage or once we burst into bulk bags or buckets of snack foods and dry goods. Drink bottles get a lot of play for organizing wire, ribbon, and cord. If you have access to wide mouth juice or sports drink bottles, those make excellent ways to keep some ammo in a bag nice and dry. But don't try it with narrow neck water and soda bottles, not even with 22 long rifle. There's nothing wrong with using them for beans or grains either since they stack up like cordwood well. Mostly though, I think people seriously underestimate how much water they need. I may be the only person affected by Uncle Murphy on a regular basis, but you need water stored even with a well because you need time to hunt down the problems and repair it if the pump goes down. So for the most part, I'd rather see soda bottles get used to store water everywhere in homes and in vehicles. Organizing preparedness supplies. The time spent in organizing not only makes maintaining our storage a little less daunting and time consuming, but also allows us to better visualize gaps. The sanity boost from neatness and not being overwhelmed by our piles of stuff can't really be overstated. And less involved family is less likely to add to our stress when they're not overwhelmed by it all too. Since there's so many items out there that that we can scrounge for free or little outlay and repurpose, we really don't have any excuse not to keep our storage organized. Alright guys, so... It might, have, it might be hard to picture some of the things that were mentioned here, right? Um, when you have the, the actual pictures, it's, very, it, it's, it's a little bit easier to take. 
So again, I'm going to recommend that on this one here, if you are interested in organizing and you're wanting to get some ideas, come over and check out these pictures. I mean, there's you know some really cool pictures and uh, get some ideas for how you can organize your preparedness a little bit. I think one of the worst things is like you, you know that you have purchased, like right now my garage is in disarray and uh, it actually it, it absolutely stresses me out i can't even i can't even every time i go in there it just bothers me to no end i just haven't had the time set aside to clean it like i want to clean it and so uh but you know it it's crazy when i go in there and like i know i have this i know it's probably right here under this stuff right here and i just need to you know dig for it and so when you are organized you know that's why this article i guess speaks to me so much is because i'm looking to do um, you know, a lot of that organization when I get into this garage and also to that office when I get that office. I'm really looking forward to it. So again, like uh, if you are interested in, you know, being organized and getting some ideas, come on over to this article. I'm going to link to it in the show notes over at theprepperjournal.com and uh, you can come see these uh, these pictures. I think it's definitely worth the visit. Well, all right, everyone, that is it for episode 325. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. Hey, and take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.